Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word. I pray, God, that we would gain wisdom and instruction from your word tonight as we continue to go through the book of Ecclesiastes. We are continually reminded that life is sometimes a bummer, but dear Lord, quite frankly, we don't really even have to read the book of Ecclesiastes to see that. We see it every day, but in a way, it's kind of encouraging to see that as we read this book written so long ago that, well, things really haven't changed. But God, we thank thank you that the author of Ecclesiastes really understood and, and realized what mattered, and that was to fear you and to serve you. And so, God, help us to realize what matters. Help us to realize the same thing, that you are most important and that we don't get too caught up with all the struggles of the world or even the good things of the world, but in everything we, we, we stay on track by keeping focused on you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like the wise person, and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom brightens his face, and the sternness of his face is changed. Here, the author of Ecclesiastes is acknowledging the importance of wisdom. We kind of see that throughout the book. He talks about the wise, he talks about the foolish, and and what is there better in this world than wisdom? Well, not much, it, probably not anything. Uh, to have wisdom in this world is a good thing. Having wisdom will keep us on the right track. It will keep us out of trouble. And he says here at the end of the verse, a man's wisdom brightens his face and the sternness of his face is changed. When we are living foolishly, uh, foolishly it, it, it leads us into all kind of trouble. It makes us feel bad. But the moment we start to seek wisdom and we start to lead uh, a wise life and do wise things, it changes our attitude. Things around us may continue to be bad, but when we are doing what's right and we're doing what the Lord leads us to do, when we are making wise decisions, we can feel good about those decisions. That's the thing with foolish decisions. You make those decisions, you feel the regret, you feel the pain, you feel the burden of those things. But when you make a wise decision... Even if things are difficult because of that decision, even if things are not good, even if things are hard, you can you have a certain peace and a certain a certain rest about you and a certain joy about you, knowing, hey, you know what, I have done what is wise and what is good. So it makes a difference in how we feel as to how we're living and the choices that we are making. Verse two. Keep the king's command because of your oath made before God. Now, I'm not sure exactly what this oath is that's referred to. There are a couple of passages we may see in the Old Testament where people make an oath to the king. So maybe there's a specific oath that he's talking about here. Maybe it's just kind of a, a generalized oath. Okay, if there's a king before you, then you, you're, you're swearing your allegiance to the king. That is, whatever the king says, you need to listen to. Now, if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 8, that's when God's people Israel demand a king. Now before this, there were no kings over Israel. Immediately before this, there were judges over Israel. And the reason why there were no kings over Israel is because God was to rule over them. He was their king. He reigned over them. But in 1 Samuel <laughs> chapter 8, they made a foolish request. They said, we want a king. And their reasoning was this. They said, we want a king because we want to be like the other nations. Now, the other nations around them had a king. 
But the other nations around them also lived in sin and worshipped idols and sacrificed their kids and did a whole bunch of other really bad stuff. And so the people of God, who had God as their king reigning over them, saw fit to ask for an earthly king as though God wasn't a sufficient enough king. And so in 1 Samuel 8, that's a good chapter for you to read, they tell Samuel, we want a king. Well, Samuel's not happy about this. And God tells Samuel, he said, you tell the people, or excuse me, he told Samuel, he said, the people have not rejected uh, rejected you, they have rejected me. They've rejected me. That's why they're asking for this. Not because they don't want to follow you, but because they don't want to follow me. Now, God obviously knew that this was not going to be a good, a good situation for them. And God said, tell them. If they get a king, there's a lot of things that they're going to have to do. If there's somebody in charge, they're going to have to follow this person in charge, and they're going to put, put laws out and rules out, and there's certain things they're going to have to do. And it's, it could be tough on them. Tell them this is how it's going to be, and they heard it, and they said, oh, we want a king, and guess what happened? Well, you know what happened. They got a bunch of kings that were bad and bad to them and led them into bad things, but that's what they get, and that's what we get too when we request uh things of the world or a person of the world that we follow over the Lord. That's a sermon for another day. But the point being here is there's some some type of loyalty that's supposed to take place for a king or for a person who's in authority. And God places the people in authority. We see that in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, that those who are in authority are there because God has allowed them to be in a place of authority. Now, you may say to yourself, well, then why doesn't God just allow uh, good people to be in the place of authority. Well, God gives us some free reign and some free choice, and if we would choose God and choose to live by Him and for Him, then I suppose we wouldn't need an authority no more than the Israelites would have. But they didn't choose God, and oftentimes we don't choose God. As a country, we don't choose God. And so sometimes God says, okay, if you want to choose something that's not good for you, if you want to put somebody into office that's not good for you, I'll allow that person to go into office. And so sometimes good people get into political offices, and sometimes God allows bad people to get into political offices. And if the good people go in seeking God and lead the people with wisdom, then guess what? God's going to bless that. But if people want what's bad and what is evil and they vote in evil leaders, then the result is going to be evil things are going to occur. And perhaps that's God's way sometimes of getting people's attention. But nonetheless, good leader or bad leader, there is no decision that's made. There's nothing that, go on that, that goes on that the Lord does not allow. Now, that's not to say that the Lord is pleased with every decision that every leader makes in the world. But sometimes God may use an evil leader to get the people's attention in hopes that they would turn back to him. And so part of what he's talking about here, not to get too much down a rabbit hole, is he's talking about authority to the one who is in charge. He says in verse 3, do not be in a hurry, leave his presence, and don't persist in a bad cause since he will do whatever he wants. Now I'm not sure about that do not leave in a hurry there. Some of the commentaries have suggested that it's a that it's a sign of disrespect that if you are before the king, if, you, if you're in a rush to leave, that you should you know, not, not be in a rush to leave someone who is in that, in that position. But then when you do leave, it says leave his presence and don't for, persist in bad. Okay, so if you're in the presence of the king, stay there. Don't try to rush away from it. But eventually you will leave, and when you leave the king's presence, you don't need to persist in bad. You need to do what is good. Now, ideally, 
good kings and good rulers and good presidents would, would rule over the people of this world. But sadly, we have a lot of bad leaders in this world, probably more bad leaders than there are good leaders. And what does he say the reason for not doing bad is? Since he will do whatever he wants, okay? So the king has the power to bring judgment on those who he reigns over. And it says in verse 4, For the king's word is authoritative, and who can say to him, What are you doing? So, this is part of it. If, if the people are going to ask for a king, and God's going to put kings over them, and indeed, by the time we get to the book of Ecclesiastes, there are kings ruling over the people. Well, what the king says is authoritative. And so, you better do what's right. You better do what's good. Within reason, of course. Now, we want to respect our leaders. Even at times, depending on who the leader is, we, it may be difficult to do that. But nonetheless, we want to respect those who are in authority over us, and we want to pray for our leaders. However, there comes a time, perhaps, sometimes, when leaders command their people to do things that are ungodly and unbiblical. In those times, we must stand up. And so we never want to break what God's commands are. Uh, the worldly leader never trumps the word of God and the commands of God. But so long as what the worldly leaders do doesn't go against God or doesn't command us to go against God, then we support and we, and we listen to what they say even as much as we may not always like it. That doesn't mean that there aren't times that we stand up against some things, but we must do so uh, based on the word of God because the leader has the authority, and that's what he says here, the king and the case of the people of Ecclesiastes. Verse 5, The one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful, and a wise heart knows the right time and procedure. For every activity, there, there is a right time and procedure even though man's troubles are heavy on him. Now, generally speaking, what it says in verse 5 is true. The one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful. Now, that's not an absolute because, of course, there are plenty of times that people may keep the commands of God, and that doesn't mean that nothing bad is ever going to happen to them. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. But we've probably already said this through the book of Ecclesiastes. Generally speaking, when you make wise decisions and good decisions and good choices and you're obedient to God, more times than not, things are going to work out better than if you're living foolishly all the time. Now, of course, on the flip side of that, there are people who live foolishly all the time, and it seems like nothing bad ever happens. But when all is said and done, when all levels out, to make the wise decision nine times out of ten is going to result in the better thing in the short term. In the long term, to make the wise decision will 100% of the time work out for the better. Uh, but there may be occasions here and there where sometimes you do what is wise and it sometimes lead to a time of trouble. But what does it say? A wise heart knows the right time and procedure. For every activity, there is a right time and a procedure. So there's a time and a place for things to occur. We talked about that in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is a time for everything. And everything is appropriate in its time, we saw in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I say that verse a lot. I have to remember that verse a lot because there are times where it seems like, man, this is a bad time or this is an unfair time or I don't like this time. Why is this time happening? But every time is, is right. When things happen in their time, it's an appropriate time. And we are reminded of that here in this passage. Verse 7. Yet no one knows what will happen because who can tell what will happen to him? Now, this is an idea we've seen uh, over the last couple of weeks, this idea that 
even for the wisest person. You know, we can't tell the future, so why fret about it? Jesus himself says, don't worry about tomorrow because today's got enough uh, troubles of its own. And so no one knows what the future holds, so we must take life one day at a time. Verse 8, no one has authority over the wind to restrain it, and there is no authority over the day of death. There is no furlough in battle, and wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. Now, some of your translations there uh, in verse 8 will say spirit instead of wind. The, the Hebrew word there is ruach. Uh, a similar word in the Greek is pneuma. You may have heard that word before. Sometimes it, it, it's, it, it's uh, translated spirit or breath or wind. Uh, and so it's hard to know exactly what the meaning is here. Uh, if it means spirit, then of course we, we, we perhaps can't restrain our spirit in some way, shape, or form. Uh, to read it as wind, at least in my opinion, it makes it a little more understanding uh, with the idea perhaps being who can control the wind. You have no authority over the wind, no matter which way you want it to blow, how hard you want it to blow. I would love for a cool breeze to blow a lot during these days. And if it was within my control, I would make a cool breeze blow on us during this week. But it's beyond our control. That's part of the problem with humanity is, is we think we can control everything and we want to control everything. And so we look at the world and we say, oh, it's hot, therefore it must be our fault. And so if we change what we can do, we can control the weather. And that's what we see a lot with global warming and other, and other things like that. This idea that at its core is that there's somehow some way that we can control the atmosphere and we can control the weather. And that's what humans desire to do. But what is good for us to recognize and is wise for us to recognize is there are some things that are beyond our control. And that's why it's important for us to realize, hey, God is in control. And we do what we can with what we can control and the decisions that we make, but it's ultimately God who is in control. And so we have to relinquish our idea that we're going to be in control of everything. That's why some people can't put their faith in Jesus Christ and follow the Lord because they don't want to give their life to the Lord. They don't want to acknowledge that God is in control. We, we, we like to, even as Christians, like to control our own life. But we have to say, God, we can't control anything. We can't control the wind. We can't control any of those type of things. We can't control when we die. They, we have no authority over the day of our death. It's going to come. Now, we can eat healthy, and we can exercise, and we can do all those things, and we can be as healthy as can be and get run over by a bus tomorrow. You have no control over how long you're going to live and when you're going to die. Life is going to happen. We want to make good choices. We want to try to be healthy if we can. But ultimately, these things are beyond our control. There's no furlough in battle. No rest. The battle keeps raging on. A wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. That's what we talked about a while ago. Those who live in foolishness, and this is talked about throughout Ecclesiastes, it may seem as though they are escaping. But they will not ultimately escape. Ultimately, those who live in wickedness, uh, it will catch up to them. That if they continue to practice those things, they will not escape those things. Verse 9, All this I have seen, applying my mind to all the work that is done under the sun, at a time when one man has authority over another to his harm. So again, we have this, this phraseology, uh, under the sun. He's seen these things in in the earth, on the earth, uh, all around. And one of the things he points out a time when one man has authority over another to his harm. There are certainly occasions, uh, perhaps, where 
somebody who is in a position of authority uses that authority to hurt those who are underneath them, whether it be a worldly leader or a pastor of a church or a boss at work. Sometimes there are people who have authority, and they use that authority uh, to, to their advantage and to, to, to the harm of other people. And that's not a good thing. We need to remember that for those of us who may ever be in a position of authority, that we want to be, uh, we want to be good and wise with how we treat those who may be under us in some capacity. Verse 10, In such circumstances I saw the wicked buried. They came and went from the holy place and they were praised in the city where they did so. This, too, is futile. Now, this verse is going to be different in your translations. Some of your translations are going to say that they uh, were praised. The other of your translations are going to say that they were forgotten. Now, that's a big difference there as to, as to how, how we interpret this passage as to what that word means. Uh, now, he's talking about the wicked. Okay, the wicked were buried. They came and went from the holy place. So they went back and forth from the temple, perhaps having this, this appearance of being holy, but, but yet they're not because they're wicked. And it says, and they were praised in the city. Or it says, and they were forgotten in the city. So which one of those is the correct interpretation? Well, I, don't, I can't say for sure. Obviously, I don't have a clue. There's lots of manuscripts, and there's some differences. The reason why the words are different there is because of the, the word in the Hebrew. The, the word in the Hebrew for, for uh, forgotten and for praised looks very similar. Now, obviously, those words look totally different to us in English. But the Hebrew words look very similar. So sometimes you see that in Scripture. Through translation, uh, it may have gotten copied wrong when somebody was copied it, or maybe one of the scrolls that was being copied from was smudged, and it changed one little letter or character a little bit, and so it, it changed the word. And so it could mean forgotten, or it could mean praised. Uh, maybe a good example of that, uh, say for instance, if, uh, if, you, if you said, uh, there is some grated cheese, there is some crated cheese. Okay, so those words, one starts with a G and one starts with a C, but... A capital C and a capital G are very similar, other, you know, minus one little mark there. And so you could see how maybe if you glanced at that quickly or, or if a, a piece of that got scratched off, it, it would change that word. Now, there's a big difference between crated cheese and grated cheese. But, but that might be an example of, of, of how you could get a letter really close and a word really close that means totally different things in the English language. Now, it seems to me, and this is just my opinion here, uh, but it seems to me that probably praised is the better interpretation there because that seems to make more sense. If the wicked were wicked and they, they died and were forgotten, then okay, there's no problem there. Nobody struggles with that. Even the author of Ecclesiastes wouldn't struggle with that. But the real struggle that we see in the book of Ecclesiastes and maybe the struggle that we experience is people that go in and out of the holy place. Maybe they come and go out of church, and yet they are as wicked as they can be, and, and yet there are people in the community that praise them. Now that we would struggle with, and that I believe the author of Ecclesiastes would struggle with. And so it seems like that would fit the, the, the idea and, the, and kind of the, the tone that we see throughout the book. The struggle here is that these people, as wicked as they are, coming and going, seem to be praised in the street once they are dead and gone, even though he knows that they are wicked. And this is futile. This is meaningless. It doesn't make sense that this is the way things are. And so, so it seems like that may be, that at least to me, is an easier understanding. However, the other 
translations could be correct. They are forgotten. That's a possibility too. So you can study that in more detail should you, should you care to. Verse 11, because the sentence against a criminal act is not carried out quickly, the heart of people is filled with the desire to commit crime. Now, here's an idea that we can probably relate to, the idea that justice needs to be served. The sentence against a criminal act is not carried out quickly. So when we see people do things that are just really heinous crimes, and we say that person needs to be, fin- uh, needs to be, needs to be sentenced, they need to be put in jail, they need to get whatever, whatever judgment they're going to get, that needs to come on them. And what does it say when justice is not served quickly? It says the heart of the people is filled with the desire to commit crime. And so perhaps it causes an uproar for those who want justice to be served. Now, a good example of that that's probably fresh on our mind in the United States is when George Floyd died. Now, regardless of your thoughts of of that situation, who was in the right or who was in the wrong or what should have happened or shouldn't have happened, the result of that was... There was at least a group of people that said, look, this was a crime that has been committed against him. It was a murder, and justice needs to be served, and it needs to be served quickly. And the result of that, justice not being served as quickly as some would have hoped it would have been served, resulted in riots in the street and towns being burned up and people being killed. And that was the result of of a group thinking that justice needed to be served and, and it not being served as quickly as they want to. Now, again, I'm not saying one way or another which if that group was right or wrong, but that is one example of, of, of how people act sometimes when justice is not served, and maybe we sometimes are those people as well. Verse 12, Although a sinner commits crime a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people for they are reverent before him. However, it will not go well with the wicked, and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they are not reverent before the Lord, or excuse me, before God. Okay, so there are times when people sin, 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 they're wicked, they're wicked, and their life is prolonged. It just it just seems like they just they just keep living. Their, their life is, 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 is lengthened even though they continue to sin, sin, sin. And even though, as he's talked about, it seems unfair that those people don't get instant justice, he also recognizes something better. And he says that. He says, I also know that it will go well for God-fearing people, for they are reverent before him. So he acknowledges here, okay, even though pe- wicked people seem to get away with it, he says the wicked are one day going to be punished. Their life's going to be gone quicker than shadow. It's going to, it's going to vanish. It's not going, to, it's not going to be there anymore. But for those who fear God, and this is a key point that we've seen and we will see throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, for those who fear God, there's going to be deliverance. Because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So when you fear God, you're going to listen to his commands and try to live by his commands. When you don't fear God, you're going to live in sin and wickedness and evil, and that's going to come to a bad end. But for those who fear God, it's going to go well, he says. Verse 14, there is a futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve, and there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say that this, too, is futile. That passage is pretty self-explanatory. We've seen this idea repeated time and time again throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Sometimes it's not fair. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. 
That's the way that it goes. Verse 15. So I commended enjoyment because there is nothing better for a man under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. For this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. Again, we see some of these same themes, these same ideas coming back up. He talks about all these things that seem unfair, that are a bummer, that he can't understand, even in all of wisdom. You can't figure these things out. So what do you do? Well, you try to find some enjoyment in life. You realize that God is in control. You fear God. You try to keep his commands. And you just enjoy the simple things in life. You eat. You drink. You enjoy life. That's your reward for your labors. You work hard. You go out. You do your job. You get tired. You deal with the public. They're difficult. You sweat. You just wore out. But you come home and you get a day off every once in a while. And you eat a good meal. And you drink something good to drink. And you go out and you relax. And you do something that's a little fun. And enjoy life a little bit. Because guess what? Next week, the next day, you got to get up and you got to do it all again. And that's the cycle of life. And so we need to find some enjoyment in life, but that enjoyment must start with God first. Verse 16, when I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done on the earth, even though one's eyes do not close in sleep day or night, I observed all the work of God and concluded that man is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a man labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if the wise man claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. So, in all the wisdom that he could apply, thinking about it night and day as much as he could, looking at all the things in the world, he's done... He's already written eight chapters that we have looked at up to this point of all the things in the world that he has seen, and he still can't make heads or tails out of them. Now, maybe that brings some comfort to us because maybe some of you have been living for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 years, and you're saying, I can't make sense of what's going on in this world. Well, you are not alone. You can't figure it out. This is life. Life is difficult. Life is frustrating. Life is not fair. And so what do you do? Well, when all is said and done, you fear God and you keep his commands. And so we see these same themes, these same ideas kind of repeated time and time again. And they're fresh on our mind every week because we read the word, because we live life. But I think of all the things perhaps that are important, at least as we look at this passage that, that stuck out to me, as we think about kings and we think about authorities in the Old Testament, even though the people demanded a king in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and they never had a good earthly king that reigned on the earthly throne, uh, there is a better king who is coming, praise the Lord, and or who has come, and who one day will bring us home with him, and that is Jesus Christ. A better king was coming. Even though all of those bad kings came, Jesus Christ has come, and he is king of kings and lord of lords. And the good news there is, is that he is a good king. He is a better king. And, and even though the rest of the kings failed, even though the rest of the kings didn't always judge the people rightly, even though some of the kings were hard on the people, even though some of the kings were unfair, Jesus is the ultimate king. And he was a king that God did not bring to sit on an earthly throne, but he is the king who, as we know through the book of Hebrews, is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he is the ultimate authority. And so that's who we look to as we look at all the things in life that seem 
unfair, and difficult, we look to the one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God and no look. Life is tough. If you're trying to figure it out, just stop because you're not going to figure it out. The writer of Ecclesiastes didn't figure it out, but he figured out what mattered, and that was to fear God and to keep his commands, and that's what we need to figure out. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word, and I pray that you would help us to respect those that you have you have allowed to be in authority over us, dear Lord, whether we like them or whether we dislike them, dear Lord. I pray that you would use them for the good of this country. God, maybe you use people and allow them to do bad, to get our attention. Maybe you bring good people in there to do good, to lead this country back to you, God. You know what is right, and you do everything in the right time. So help us to remember that, dear Lord. Help us to be those who don't get caught up trying to figure out and control things that are beyond our control, but let us trust you, the one who is in control of everything. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.